0: Hey friends, good morning. How are we, First Family? Ah, What a blessing to see each one of you here. Praise the Lord. It is a joy to be in the house of the Lord today every week, but especially so today. Today is a special day, you see. On our campus today are two very special happenings that I wanted to call your attention to. First is our friends from the Mayflower Church, our Chinese friends who are in our building for the very first time today. They are meeting down in our youth worship center on the long end of the hallway down here, serving and worshiping the Lord and gathering together as the saints of God to worship in Mandarin Chinese. Perhaps that's a hobby of yours, Mandarin, and you'd like to participate with them. Make your way down the hall by all means. If not, please stay, please. We celebrate God's goodness in letting us have a hand in welcoming them, and showing them what Texas hospitality looks like. And in allowing the Lord to use our building in still yet another way. Likewise, right across the hall, our First Baptist and Espanol congregation has moved. For the last four years, they've been down the hall in our fellowship hall. Now, we welcome them to the chapel. They outgrew their space, and we are pleased to have them right down across this hallway from us. When you see them, I hope that you will at least smile smile. That's a language that's universal. And that you will join me in praying for God's use of their energies, their efforts, their enthusiasm, and the opportunity God has given us to worship with them. Let's pray together for both of these groups. Gracious Jesus, thank you. We are grateful, Lord, for what you are doing right here around us. What a joy it is, Lord, to see your hand at work. So we pray for our friends at Mayflower Church. Thank you for the chance to join hands with them. We ask, God, your ministry of blessing on them and that they would know something about hospitality by the way we welcome them. Likewise, we pray, Lord, for our friends in FBC and Espanol. What a joy it is to know, Lord, that they have worked and served to the place. They've outgrown their space. Praise you, Lord, for your goodness. I pray, God, for the opportunity you've given them in the chapel. And so we lift that before you and we look forward to what you will do with them too. Now, Lord, it comes to us. What will you say to us today? What have you already said? My prayer is that you would make it clear. That you would move our minds and our hearts in a way that's unmistakably yours. We're grateful, Lord, for your love for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, I want to encourage you to think about our talk today, Live Culturally, from Romans 13, my friend Keith read so well, as sort of a next step, next step from where we were in the last couple of weeks. We talked about lived renewed, the transformation God wants us to have. We talked about living humbly, letting that transformation change us from who we were in our arrogant selves before Christ to taking on his image and letting it be something that seasons our lives and moving us from there toward peaceable living where we engage one another in a different way than we ever have before. Well, today, in Romans 13, we're going to talk about taking that the next step by living culturally. Let's just start with a declaration. We are citizens of heaven first. That is the leadership and the allegiance that we owe to Jesus, and it is where we look forward to. We are citizens of heaven first, but we still live here, don't we? We live in Texas, we live in the U.S., we live in this world. So between now, where we are today, and there, when we arrive home in heaven, what shall we do? How shall we manage ourselves? Let's talk about that this morning. Let's start with this. God's social construct is clear. There are three elements to how God has arranged things and you'll find them in Genesis 2, Genesis 9, Genesis 11, and Acts 2. Let's take them one at a time, shall we? God has established three institutions. He started with the home. When he put Adam and Eve together in Genesis chapter 2, he made it clear this was something that he did. Nobody else could because there wasn't anybody else too. God put them together and fashioned the first human institution. Not only that, you jump all the way over to the Gospel of John chapter 2, you'll find Jesus at a wedding. And what does he do? He blesses it. He blesses it. Speaks a word of kindness. I've always wondered whatever happened to that couple. Maybe we get home to heaven and we'll find out. That's the first institution, and let's just pause here and say the most valuable of all three, all right? God longs for you to get that right. I just finished a book that I've been reading for quite some time, about a 600-page book about a particular successful businessman. He's only 53 years old. And how do you write 600 pages about somebody that young? They did it nonetheless. And I was thinking about this as I was reading it because he has all kinds of success in so many other areas, but you know what he doesn't have? A family. Oh, don't get me wrong. He's been married. He has children. But it's a mess. And that's why I'm not going to tell you who it is. I don't want to talk poorly about anybody, but I'm certainly not call them by name. Can I tell you today, friends, it doesn't matter if you get everything else right. If you mess up that first institution, the home, you're going to be sorry. Today, embrace the opportunity God has given you to get that first institution right. We'll talk about that later in the year. But for today, let's just say that's the first institution that God meant to bring and to fashion. Here's the second one. The state, believe it or not. Genesis 9, when Noah and his family come out of the ark, God instructs them to build cities, to create structure, to go and and be fruitful and multiply. And then in, in Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. God says, hey, if we leave them like this, there will only be one tribe, and that's not healthy. They'll rise up against me, as they're already doing. Let's give them different languages and split them off. And thus, several states were born, dividing by tribe and language. Can I tell you today, friends, God was the author of that, too. There's a third institution, and it is important, near and dear to my heart, as I'm sure it is to yours. The church, Acts chapter 2, when you read through Acts 2, you'll find the birthplace of the church. It's where the Holy Spirit comes down and sweeps through the first gospel messages preached by somebody other than Jesus as Peter proclaims the good news of the gospel and declares it in such an amazing and powerful way. Can I tell you today, friends, the church is important. It's valuable. It's powerful. I believe the local church is the hope of the world. We do well to keep that in mind. So there you have the three legs of the stool. The church, the state, and our homes. Now, there's a lot of talk these days about the church and the state. They don't need to be together ever, ever, ever. Keep them far apart. Well... That was originally the intention of our founders, and that's a conversation for another day. But it was not to keep the church out of the state, like some are declaring now. It was to keep the state out of the church. Let's make sure we understand that difference. They didn't want the state and her influence pushing in on the church. Now that we reverse the polarity, we're seeing as we move further away from from the Judeo-Christian values that we used to have into the humanism that we're headed into, we're finding people asking, what am I supposed to do with myself? Well, what do you expect when you cut your moorings? Friends, we need all three of these institutions. Okay, Darren, so I get it. I need the church, I need the state, and I need my family. What if I can't operate that way? Well, so I want you to imagine for me the Sinai Peninsula. It's desolate. Imagine something between Alpine and Pecos. Some of you that have been out there know exactly what I'm talking about. There's not a lot of scenery there, and that's a reasonable place for St. Catherine's Monastery. In the Sinai Desert, very south end of it, you'll find St. Catherine's Monastery. It was built there in approximately the 5th century. Emperor Justinian, a Roman emperor, he was the one who started construction on it. Why did he build it there? He put it there because he wanted to have a location near to where Moses encountered God at the burning bush. That's why he put it there. And he made it as an enclave. In other words, for the monks who would serve there, they would serve there until their death. It would keep them separate, unstained from the world. And it would keep them away from having families. That way they could put their whole focus on the church. Can I tell you today, friends, it didn't work. Never does, because you need all three legs of that stool. Cutting ourselves off from the state, no matter how hard we try, is just impossible. You need all three legs of the stool. I want you to plug this into your life. Don't neglect any one of those three. And take your Christian worldview and your values into it. Here's another thing I want you to take time to plug into your life. Take time to understand how God made things. This is God's plan, not mine. This is not my interpretation of how God arranged things. This is his word declaring this is the reality of it. Okay, now, Darren, what do we do about that? You've made that clear. Well, here's what we do. God established the government, but all authority rests with him. It was God's idea. He put these things in place, and now he's put a level forward for us to meet. Romans 13, 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except for God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Now, this may not win me any friends today, and I'll I'll, I'll understand if that's how you feel, because I know. Talking about the state in the church or talking about the church in the state is a tough combination. It's a little like shaking a Dr. Pepper and handing it off to somebody. I want you to recognize, though, that the state is under God's authority. Not only that, it is the authority God has granted to the state. Every authority is those who have been instituted by God. It's as if God has given them, are you ready for this? A powerful loan. Powerful loan. Uh, imagine being loaned something valuable, something powerful. It's not yours, but it's yours to use for a season. And you know when you get it that one day the owner's going to come back and the owner going to say to you, Hey, um, how did you do with that loan that I gave you? How did you use that tool? It was always mine, but I loaned it to you. How do you? How did you do with it? Imagine being given this incredible responsibility, with the knowledge that God's going to hold you accountable for it. When you begin to recognize that all authority is God's, and He loans it out to the governing authorities, then you begin to understand how God intends the church, home, and state to operate together, a balance, each needing the other two. Now, from a philosopher's standpoint, taught philosophy for a while, it leads to another question. So if God established authorities, is he to blame when things go wrong? If God is the one who raises up these authorities as says Romans 13:1, should I feel free to hold him at fault when they are off the rails? Absolutely not. God is not responsible for the decisions of our leaders. He is, however, holding them accountable for their decisions. There have been many poor leaders throughout the pages of Scripture. When you read through the Old Testament, you'll find a whole lot more bad ones than good ones. Is God to blame for that too? Well, here's the thing. People are sinful. Whether they are a world leader or a pauper, the brokenness is the same. The only thing that gets extrapolated when we raise somebody up in a position of authority is the level that their brokenness gets exhibited, the number of people that get wounded by it. That's why it's important that we recognize, by plugging this in, that we can find peace in trusting God's supreme authority, not the authorities around us. The authority that has been entrusted into the elected and appointed leaders around us, is all from God. It is his, and one day they will hand it back. Not only will they hand it back, they'll be held accountable for what they did with it. Okay, Darren, okay, I get it now. All of the God, God constructed us with church, state, and home, and God's authority is all of it, and he's loaning it out. So what do I do about it? How do I live a transformed, Christ-centered life in this moment? I'm going to end with this. We're at our last point, and this is the thing I want to spend the most amount of time on, all right? We start living godly lives by being obedient people. Romans 13:1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Now, Friends, when we read this, some of us resist rebellion. It's deep in our DNA. We like rebels. We applaud them many times and and find them to be enigmatic. We enjoy their, their, their leadership sometimes. But friends, let's be clear. Rebels when they rebel against God, find themselves on the wrong end of judgment. And that's why God says we should do so. We should abide by the governing authorities. What, what does that look like? Well, some of you did it just by coming here. You stopped at the stop signs. You stopped at the red light. You didn't speed when you got here. You buckled your seatbelt. You carried a driver's license. You brought insurance on your vehicle. All these are examples of the laws that we kept. Now imagine what it would be if all of us decided that we didn't want to, that that shouldn't apply to us. Well, that's not hard to imagine when you drive in Midland. Amen? I was told when I first moved here, don't be the first one through the red light, Darren. There's going to be somebody that will run it the other way. I found that to be quite true. Or what if I decided I like driving in England better than here, so I'll just pretend I'm in England and drive on the left side instead of the right? It wouldn't take long for that mistake to be evident, would it? Can I tell you today, my friends, these laws that God has put over us to be obedient to, they are for creating order, keeping peace, granting us structure, and helping us to know the right way. With our children, we raise them up with the idea there are rules. And those rules must be obeyed. So if we don't allow our children to be rebels all the time everywhere, why would God allow his children to do that? Can I tell you today, friends, if we're going to live godly, Christ-honoring, transformed lives in the culture in which we live, it's going to necessitate that we're an obedient people. Not only obedient, though, an aware people. Those who resist the authorities, resist what God has appointed, and those who resist will encourage judgment. So says verse 2. The constant reality of judgment coming down at me is what encourages me in my awareness of that judgment, to say, I need to be obedient. I need to do what God's laws have established. Imagine with me that we're driving down Interstate 20, headed to Abilene or maybe Dallas-Fort Worth, and off to the side of the road, just as we top a hill, we notice there is a trooper. Now I want you to ask yourself this, when you spot that vehicle, when you spot that policeman there to protect you, there to make sure the laws are obeyed, there as God's governing authority, did you or did you not hit your brake? You don't have to confess here, God knows the truth. 99% of us do, unless we have the cruise control law. I want you to recognize that is a a, a level of awareness. You recognize that if you don't do that, if you are speeding, he has full rights to pull you over and cite you, give you a ticket for your infraction. Now, we may not like it, but we can't say we didn't know. The signs have been posted clearly. Now, a lot of people when they read this passage, they grow indignant the Apostle Paul couldn't have envisioned where we live, the brokenness, the wickedness of our leaders, the absolute depravity that they reflect. I I, I won't argue with that. The Apostle Paul couldn't have have dared dream of a Republican, Republican democracy like we have. However, let's talk about what authority Paul is writing to his contemporaries those who were alive with him at that time in about 55 AD during his reign. The ruler at that time is the vicious and tyrannical Roman Emperor Nero. I want you to write that name down if you're not familiar with it, N-E-R-O. He deplored Christianity in general, but especially Christians. He took vengeance on them frequently for their unwillingness to name him as king. According to the Roman historian Tacitus, and later Pliny the Elder, contemporaries of our friend Nero, his cruelty was extensive. It lasted throughout the Apostle Paul's ministry. In fact, Nero, if history is any guide, is the one responsible for the Apostle's death. This is the government Paul commands us to obey. Filled with degenerates, liars, thieves, perverts, crooks, cheats, murderers, all manner of brokenness and wickedness, Paul still commands obedience to them. Why? Because he knows this much. God's judgment is waiting for them based on how they use that unbelievable loan. They will answer to him for how they exercise his authority. That's an overwhelming thought. Unaware people keeps that in mind and doesn't try to usurp that authority. Here's another element of it. If we're going to be a transformed, Christ-honoring people, we're going to need to be an involved people. Therefore, verse 5 says... One must be subject not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this very thing, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. We are citizens of heaven, yes but we're also citizens of this earth, and that means funding the government around us. Not so many years ago, I had a friend. He fell into this line of thinking that said, I don't want to pay taxes anymore. Can I just pause and say, me neither? I've stopped looking at my check stub because it's too infuriating, right? I don't pay attention to the IRS return when our CPA fills it out because I just don't want to know. But my friend, he he took it to a whole new level. He didn't just want to not pay IRS taxes anymore. He didn't want to pay property taxes. He didn't want to pay state registration taxes. He didn't want to pay for his driver's license. He didn't want to to have any sort of footprint tax base-wise anywhere in the world. Not only did he do that, but he joined up with a group of people who said, hey, let's band together. They can't come for all of us. Uh, yeah, they can. And they did. And they arrested the whole lot of them. And they charged them with tax evasion and tax fraud. Friends, this was a man that was an integral part of a church that I knew well. I want, to rec- I want to have you recognize this paying of taxes. While it's odious to those of us that are responsible for it, it is a reflection of obedience to God. But Darren, you don't know how much taxes I pay, and I'll agree with you there. I don't. I don't. But I do know that the command the Apostle Paul gives us is to pay them. Paying our taxes it's an unreasonable thing in our minds many times. But understand that the taxable rate, if we were to drag it from the first century into this one, would be in excess of 75%. In other words, if you earned a dollar, you got to keep a quarter of it. The rest of it went to the Romans. Well, they couldn't take it out electronically, Darren. How did they get it? They had Brutus to help them. Let's just stop there, all right? Pay your taxes It's another piece to it, pay respect to those who deserve it. We have some incredible leaders. We have some incredible leaders who represent us. Now, I know there are many who think all of those that work in Austin and Washington, D.C. are crooks. I, I would caution against that. You see, there's something I don't talk very much about, and it's the guy that was best man in our wedding. He's a, he's, a, he's a senator for the state of Oklahoma. I'm very proud of my friend. He's a godly man. But I think he must be doing it wrong because he's not gotten rich. He's been there 14 years now. I think he must be doing it wrong. Even when I go to see him, he won't let me buy his lunch. He insists, in fact, that I don't. It would be improper benefit, Darren. You're an out-of-state taxpayer. Yeah, somebody is watching us right now, friend. I'm going to tell you, they're taking note of a $5 slice of pizza. But to him, it means something. And here's what else you need to know about him. He's an ordained minister, and he's not the only one. I want to encourage you, pay respect to those who deserve it. And he is a good example of just such an example. He's a godly man, and some of you know him too. He's a godly man whose ministry field just happens to be in Washington, D.C. Can I tell you today, my friends, can I tell you today, I pray for him multiple times a day because I cannot imagine why anybody would want that job after walking with him for the last decade. It is the most thankless, miserable place to serve I can even begin to fathom. More hate mail, no matter what he says or does, comes to his office than I ever knew existed in the world. So why do, I do it? Because he feels like that's what God's called him to. Pay respect to those who deserve it. Here's the next thing. Pay attention to what's happening around you. There's a lot of us we start our day with the Word of God. And let me encourage you to do so. Let the Word of God speak boldly into your life each morning, if at all possible. Let it be something that governs you, guides you, encourages you, comforts you, blesses you, empowers you. Can I tell you today, my friends, this is important. Likewise, I had a newspaper newspaper I would use it, but nobody reads the newspaper anymore, do they? It all comes to us online. Likewise, I read the newspaper every day. Now, here's the problem that many of us face. Many of us, we want to take the Bible and put it under our newspaper and say, well, I'll understand the Bible by means of reading the newspaper. Flip it, friends. Understand the newspaper by reading the Bible. Well, Darren... There's a lot of things that that I won't read if I'm reading the Bible first. Yeah, and it probably won't hurt you. The world will go on if you don't know about it. One of the smartest things I did is turn off notifications for some of the news apps. Turn them off. I don't have to know everything. We live in an information-rich time, but it doesn't necessarily benefit us. Which brings me to the next thing. Let us live as joyful people. If we're going to live Christ-transformed lives, then let's take 1 Thessalonians 5 in conjunction with this passage. Also a letter of Paul. He says, rejoice. Again, I'll say rejoice. Oh, friends, celebrating and being joyful doesn't mean I ignore what's happening around me. Quite the opposite. It means I see it properly for what it is, a temporary problem. It's something that I'm going to walk away from. So I can choose joy all the time. Choose to, joy, to live with joy in this crazy world. Choose to live with joy, not by pretending those problems don't exist, but by anchoring yourself to the truth that God is over it all anyway. Moving on, as a praying people, a people who set our hearts and minds to prayer, Following right behind where he commands us to joy in First Thessalonians, he says, pray without ceasing. Now, that doesn't mean folding your hands and keeping your head bowed and your eyes closed. No, it has with it the idea of an ongoing conversation, a constant attitude of prayer that says, God, guide me, grant me strength, grant me wisdom, hear my prayers. And that leads us to the last thing, a thankful people gratitude for who God is. A thankful people. And where should that Thanksgiving start? Thankful to God. There are a lot of blessings if I'm willing to look for them. Thankful to God. One such blessing is the fact that we learned at Snowmageddon three years ago this month, right? You remember it. We were froze solid, weren't we? We learned something about our building that day. This church building The welcome center right outside these doors and the chapel shares the grid with the hospital. So when the electricity for everybody else is turned off but the hospital is still on, we are too. Praise the Lord. We open the doors and welcome people into a warm place. I'm telling you, friends, that's when you're grateful for God's blessings. Look for them. They're there. Let's move on swiftly. Thankful to our elected leaders and our civil servants. We talked about our elected leaders. Let's talk about our civil servants. Our police department, our fire department, the guys that pick up our trash, those who keep our water turned on. These, these are the people that are paid with our tax dollars that come out of our pay. They are the one that are worthy of our respect too. This is not an easy job. For example, let's just pick on the fire department, the police department. When we're running away, they're running toward. Please don't tell me about officers that you know that have made mistakes and run away because they are in the far, far, far minority. A good friend of mine is Sheriff here in our fair state of another county, here's what he tells me about law enforcement. It's 99% boredom, 1% sheer terror. You just don't know when that 1% is coming. When you see one of our friends in uniform, when you see the sanitation people picking up our trash, when you see those guys out working on the streets or working on the water, how about offering a kind word? A word of gratitude, reflecting the transformation that God has brought into your life. Finally, let's be thankful for our God-ordained freedoms. Friends, we are blessed. We are blessed far better than we'd even begin to know. See, a few years ago, I heard some people talking that they were going to move if so-and-so got elected, I don't even remember who it was now. It's been so many election cycles ago. They were going to leave the country. I was reminded of what Margaret Thatcher said, or maybe it was Winston Churchill, one of the British prime ministers. They said, democracy is the worst possible system, except for all the others. We've been granted a great gift, friends, to live in this great land. And if you travel very much at all, you'll see it just like I have. We've been granted a great gift. So today, I want to encourage you. I want to open the invitation, as we always do, with an encouragement. Let the transformation of Christ begin in you. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you've never encountered Jesus in a personal way, not, not somebody way out there, but up close, If you've never encountered Jesus that way, then when we stand up in just a second, you come down here and let's talk about it. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. It's open for you. But I want to extend another part of the invitation to you today to ask God to transform you. To transform you as a citizen of the state, of the nation, of the world, to transform you so that when you go out from here, you take with you the fragrance of your Savior with you. Today, friends, invite that transformation into your life. Let's pray. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, for your word, for its power in our lives, and for the chance to share it together today. I know, Lord, there are a great many challenges when we discuss authority and the state. But I also know, Lord, all authority is yours. None of it is ours to keep, no matter what role we have. So as we enter into this invitation time, I pray that you would transform our thinking, transform our minds, transform our hearts, that you would begin that process right here and right now. Do your work in us, Lord Jesus. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's your chance, my friends. If you have a decision you want to make, come down and let's talk about it. But more than anything, ask for God's transforming power right where you are. Stand and sing with me as you come.